The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. A look at when epidemiologists will personally be resuming various daily activities, the real people behind one of Apple's most famous sound effects, how dropping F-bombs might actually be a useful strategy, and the first American woman to walk in space makes history again. Here in New York City, we officially entered phase one of reopening yesterday, something I was reminded of by the arrival of roofers bright and early to redo my building's roof. As places across the world experiment with reopening and as more sometimes contradictory information continues to come out about how the virus spreads, we're all going to be making a lot of personal decisions about what activities we're comfortable engaging in. To help make those decisions, the New York Times polled over 500 epidemiologists about their personal comfort level regarding 20 different daily activities. The answers are based on their own personal circumstances, but also their professional expectations for when we'll have sufficient testing, tracing, treatment, and vaccination for COVID-19. None of it should be taken as definitive evidence or decrees, but sometimes it is nice to hear from a professional, as biased and unknowing as even they may be. Some general takeaways, quoting the New York Times. Many epidemiologists are already comfortable going to the doctor, socializing with small groups outside, or bringing in mail, despite the coronavirus. But unless there's an effective vaccine or treatment first, it will be more than a year before many say that they will be willing to go to concerts, sporting events, or religious services, and some may never greet people with hugs or handshakes again. They mostly agreed that outdoor activities in small groups were safer than being indoors or in a crowd, and that masks would be necessary for a long time. Some said that they would refrain from nearly all of the 20 activities until a vaccine for the virus had been widely distributed. Others said that they would wait for a vaccine to do the indoor activities on the list. As much as I hate working at home, I think that working in a shared indoor space is the most dangerous thing to do, said Sally Picciotto of the University of California, Berkeley, one of the 18% of respondents who said they expected to wait at least a year before returning to the office, end quote. And of course, a lot of the decision-making is highly dependent on a number of factors that can't be reflected as easily in a poll. Quote, Epidemiologists say they are making decisions based on publicly available data for their region on things like infections and testing. Before choosing whether to do an activity, they might evaluate whether people are wearing masks, whether physical distancing is possible, and whether there are alternative ways to do it. Because there is a chance of a second wave of infections, they say they may become less comfortable with certain activities over time, not more. Like everyone, they are also weighing practical considerations. 
Those who are required to go to an office or hospital every day are doing so, even if they think it would be safer to remain home. The need for child or elder care forces difficult choices. Activities that seem optional, like attending a concert, are easier to avoid. End quote. And here's a rundown of the 20 activities they were asked about. Here are the ones that a majority of respondents said they would be comfortable resuming this summer. Bring in mail without precautions. See a doctor for a non-urgent appointment. Vacation overnight within driving distance. Get a haircut at a salon or barbershop. And here are the activities that the majority of respondents said that they would resume in 3 to 12 months. Attend a small dinner party. Hike or picnic outdoors with friends. Send kids to school, camp, or daycare. Work in a shared office. Send children on playdates. Ride a subway or a bus. Visit elderly relative or friend in their home. Travel by airplane. Eat at a dine-in restaurant. And exercise at a gym or fitness studio. And finally, here are the activities that the majority of respondents said that they would resume in a year or more. Attend a wedding or funeral. Hug or shake hands when greeting a friend. Go out with someone you don't know well. Attend a church or other religious service. Stop routinely wearing a face covering. And attend a sporting event, concert, or play. Now, keep in mind that the majority response wasn't a huge majority in a lot of these cases. Many epidemiologists really do differ on their expectations or personal comfort level. And there was also a fourth timeline option, which was never. A full 6% said that they would never hug or shake hands in greeting again. 4% said that they would never again go to a gym or fitness studio. 1% even said that they would never send their children on playdates again. That number probably isn't statistically significant, maybe those respondents just don't have children, and straight poll numbers don't tell us everything, but some respondents left comments that were revealing. While some were eager to get back to hugging, most seemed ready to do away with the custom of handshaking. As T. Christopher Bond of Bristol-Myers Squibb said, real epidemiologists don't shake hands. While some things like perhaps the death of handshakes and the ubiquity of face masks may change forever, most epidemiologists seem keen to get back to some semblance of normal activities again, just like the rest of us. And for many of them, it does seem to come back to those three C's. Avoid closed spaces, crowded places, and close contact. In the early 2000s, Apple added a slew of sound effects to their iLife software, a suite of programs including iMovie and GarageBand. While the iLife branding is now discontinued, a lot of the sound effects have been saved and continue to be used by video creators, musicians, and more, usually in slightly ironic ways. They're a real favorite of vloggers and Let's Play gamers who want to show that they're not taking their videos too seriously. And even if you're not a Mac user, you're probably familiar with a few of the sound effects that have become particular favorites, like this one. Or this one. Or maybe... Or what about this one? Even though Apple had licensed a number of sound effects for iLife from Skywalker Sound Effects, they also created some of their own, including the ones above. 
And that last one, file name Kids Cheering, might be one of the most ubiquitous and recognizable of all of the iLife sound effects. It's used relentlessly by YouTubers. I remember it being a running joke on a podcast I listened to all the way back in 2007. And it's been sampled in songs from Logic's intro to Earl Sweatshirt's AM radio. But who are the people cheering in the sound effect? Were they real kids, or just some adult voice actors hired to fill out all of the other people-based sound effects in iLife? Turns out, they were real kids, local to Palo Alto, who were hired for just that one sound effect. And they're all grown up now. Earlier this year, one of them did an AMA on Reddit about his experience called I was one of the kids who voiced the famous recording of the kidscheering.aif sound effect, which was later popularized through the rise of iMovie, AMA. He was seven when they recorded the sound effect in 2003 and is now 24. And here's how he said he got the gig. Quote, They visited a few elementary schools in the area and asked teachers to choose the best behaved kids. Not to brag. Then we got a permission slip to take home. At first, my mom was pretty suspicious, as at the time, people weren't so used to tech, and there was a general mistrust around it. That and my mom's hate for big companies almost lost me the chance to do it. However, it was always my dream to be involved with tech, albeit in a small way, so she allowed me to go in the end." End quote. He says all the kids who were chosen preliminarily were asked to do a quick solo cheer, and then they picked the best 20 from there. When it actually came time for recording, he doesn't remember much of the process, except that when a red light came on, they were supposed to start cheering, and when it turned off, they stopped. He says they weren't paid, but they did get a, quote, goodie bag with a pair of very vintage Apple headphones I still own to this day, and some of those white Apple stickers. I must say, I was kind of disappointed as I was hoping for an iPod, an item that had just come out at the time. Still grateful for what I got, though, and the real reward is the legacy of having done it, end quote. For the record, I think the very vintage Apple headphones he's talking about are the original earbuds from the first iPod release. While he can't speak for all of the kids involved, he says that he at least never tires of hearing the sound effect, though he's sometimes caught off guard when he does. He thinks he can hear his own voice in it, but admits that he might just be making that up. Someone in the AMA suggested that he should try to get all the kids back together to do an adults cheering sound effect, but unfortunately, the original poster says that they never kept in touch. This was the ancient days of 2003, after all, back before the rise of social media, and they were all elementary schoolers. But I don't know, maybe there's like an old spreadsheet somewhere at Apple with the kids' names on it? With some sleuthing, maybe we could make this reunion happen. Or if you know anyone else who was behind some of these iLife sound effects, hit me up on Twitter at JackIsNotABird. I'm like super curious about other ordinary people who lent their voices to these sound effects that ended up being sprinkled into so many creative works over the last two decades. While I might not be saying it in this segment because this podcast isn't rated explicit, it turns out that you might have a really legitimate excuse to use the F word. According to a new study from the journal Frontiers in Psychology, saying the F word might increase your pain threshold. Quoting Ars Technica, the technical term is the hypoallergesic effect of swearing, best illustrated by a 2009 study in NeuroReport by researchers at Keele University in the UK. Co-author Richard Stevens, a psychologist at Keele, became interested in studying the topic after noting his wife's unsavory language while giving birth and wondered if profanity really could help alleviate pain. 
Swearing is such a common response to pain, there has to be an underlying reason why we do it, Stevens told Scientific American at the time, end quote. In that original 2009 study, Stevens and his team had 67 college student participants put their hands in buckets of ice-cold water. They were then told to either swear repeatedly, using whichever swear word they preferred, or to chant a neutral word. When they swore, the participants reported feeling less pain than when they didn't, and they were also able to withstand the ice-cold water for an average of 40 seconds longer. Quoting Ars Technica, We have quite good data on the mechanism being that swearing brings out an emotional response in the speaker, which activates the autonomic nervous system or acute structure response, Stevens told Ars. It's linked to fight or flight. In other words, swearing in response to pain can activate the amygdala, which can trigger that fight-or-flight response, producing a surge of adrenaline, end quote. Stevens did a follow-up study in 2011 that produced two main findings. First, the pain relief effect was stronger for people who don't typically swear all that much. And second, the participants' heart rates rose when they swore. Quoting Stevens, so we think the mechanism is stress-induced. It's the emotional content of the swearing that people are accessing when they swear in pain, end quote. Other researchers have suggested it could be that the act of swearing is a distraction. As the debate continues, Stevens and his team embarked on yet another study, the one just recently published. For this one, they came up with alternative words for participants to use in place of swear words. One, fouch, which was chosen to have a similar emotional impact to some swear words, and also the word twizpipe, which was meant to be distracting through its humor. They used the ice bucket method again, this time having participants use the F word, the fouch and twizpipe words, and then a neutral word. The only one that had any effect on pain outcomes was the F word. As in the 2009 study, it increased the pain threshold, with participants waiting significantly longer before indicating they felt pain when they were saying the F word versus the other words. Of this most recent study, Stevens said, quote, There's no suggestion from these data that distraction, or how the word sounds, is a reason why swearing helps people cope with pain. It seems like it's the meaning of the word, probably the way we learn the word growing up, and the associations between these words and stress or emotion. That's probably what underlies the power of swearing, end quote. Going forward, his team is going to investigate disinhibition as a possible explanation. Disinhibition meaning a lack of restraint leading to impulsiveness, poor risk assessment, or the breaking of social conventions. Quoting Ars Technica, There are a handful of scientific papers investigating whether disinhibition could improve performance particularly a 2014 paper that found that tennis players who grunted while serving the ball produced faster swerves than those who didn't grunt. Stevens A. All's current research will build on that, as well as their own 2018 paper showing that swearing can improve strength. I think there may be a cognitive explanation that swearing is able to produce disinhibition, he said, and in some situations disinhibition lets you go for it that little bit more and not hold back, end quote. So, if you stub your toe later today, let the F-bombs roar, and don't feel bad about it. Science has your back. This weekend, Kathy Sullivan, a former NASA astronaut who was the first American woman to walk in space on the sixth flight of the Challenger space shuttle, also became the first woman to reach the Earth's deepest point. She is now the first human to go to both space and full ocean depth. Quoting CNET, 
On Sunday, former NASA astronaut Kathy Sullivan reached the bottom of the Challenger Deep, almost 6.9 miles, or 11,000 meters, below the surface of the Pacific Ocean, according to EOS Expeditions. Challenger Deep is considered the deepest point in the Earth's oceans and resides within the Mariana Trench, a mighty sickle-shaped depression lying about 1,100 miles east of the Philippines. The pressure at the bottom is over 1,000 times the pressure at sea level. Sullivan was accompanied by Victor Vescovo, an entrepreneur and deep-sea explorer, in the deep-sea submersible limiting factor. In total, the expedition lasted just under four hours, end quote. When Sullivan and Vescovo returned from the expedition, they made a call to the International Space Station to speak with the NASA astronauts on board, including those who had just recently arrived via SpaceX's Crew Dragon. Sullivan said in a statement, quote, As a hybrid oceanographer and astronaut, this was an extraordinary day, a once-in-a-lifetime day, seeing the moonscape of the Challenger Deep and then comparing notes with my colleagues on the ISS about our remarkable, reusable, inner space, outer spacecraft. End quote. That is all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.